0: IVM
1: Folks, welcome to a brand new episode of The Ideas Project, a limited series by Smallcase. I'm your host, Anupam Gupta, and today we are joined by two guests, Priyank Shah and Mangalam Malu. Priyank is the founder of Beardo and of Rene Cosmetics, one of India's biggest men's grooming product brands, and Mangalam is an accomplished assistant editor and anchor at CNBC-TV18. Priyanka has helped Pierdo reach a very strong place. It's in the marketplace where it is widely recognized. Their products are considered to be some of the best in the category. And in 2020, they got acquired by Marico, allowing them to scale up further in multiple avenues. At CNBC TV18, Mangalam covers all things consumer. FMCG, retail, QSRs, building products, and the logistics sector. All of this makes both of them, Priyanka and Mangalam, the perfect folks to get on this episode where I want to talk about how D2C businesses are giving competition to huge FMCG giants and where we will see these markets going in the near future. All of that coming up right after this short break. And welcome back. Welcome to the show, Priyank, and welcome to the show, Mangal. How are you guys doing here?
2: Doing well, thank you, Anupam. It's uh,
0: fun to be speaking to you and Priyank as well. Good to meet you. Likewise, guys. Thanks, Anupam, for having us. And obviously, a great co-star to have with. Uh, well, not a
2: co-star, I would say. Yeah, I, I'm just not- a, a sideshow. You're the star here because uh, we've been tracking Beardo from uh, its pre-Marico days, and ever since it's been acquired by Marico, what a different trajectory it's been on. I think oh, yeah. this year itself, uh, they have a huge target for it
0: super super actually uh, when we see that uh, what we've been doing with Beodo and now when it's uh, been with Marico, it's been doing super wonderful and that was the overall scenario for why this MA at first place because mm-hmm. we being prematures or amateurs at a level we came up with an idea and we knew that we can scale it to a level but whenever you want to grow it is very important to believe in the people who have done it already and who better than Marico, uh, yeah. Mr. Hirsch himself and plus the team that they have it was super wonderful to work with them yeah. the only Thing i can say is that while i can admire your
2: business from the outside yeah. unfortunately i can't use any of your products <laughs> because uh, i don't have a beard
0: <laughs> i think uh, we are more than beard company anymore now so hmm. i think we do have a lot of list of products like grooming we do have hip boxes, face washes and gels and all of that makes a complete men's grooming brand Beard obviously was the pain point that we wanted to jump up with because you know just did not want it to have face wash brand or a shampoo right. brand. My face wash is better than yours and all of it. That was not the game. We wanted to identify the problem and that was beard. And what macho than a beard is what we identified. And then moving forward, we went with the beard as a brand name and then established as a whole men's grooming brand.
1: Fantastic, folks. That is a background to Beardo. Priyank, let's start with you. What do you think of the new D2C businesses that are coming up that have learned how to capitalize on the power of the internet?
0: So internet, what we feel is the powerful tool to educate. I will not directly jump up to sales. I would like to understand or maybe like to explain this that internet has been a super powerful tool for all of us in terms of D2C businesses, which have helped us to evaluate uh, and explain what we are in terms of the overall genre. Say for instance, traditional businesses versus D2C businesses, it was so tough if you go 10 years back, it was so tough to even educate your customers, there were only few ideas, either you can go do TV, either you can do billboards or you can do uh, in cinema ads. That were the only forms of advertisements. Now, when you jump to 2020 2022, all of this four or five years have been really great in terms of campaigning, educating. If I have an idea, I can come up with a very beautiful way of explaining to my consumer set of consumers in a very limited time frame, and I can map and evaluate it. Say, for instance. Uh, I've did a campaign on TV or maybe on any TV ads or anything. I'll be not able, I'll not be able to monitor what kind of sales is it fetching or maybe how many eyeballs did I get? Yes, there is, you know, a ballpark figure of understanding that it's not TRP, this and that. Say, for instance, you cannot directly map what are the kind of eyeballs you got. When we jump to internet, you can directly understand that there are, this is the kind of uh, eyeballs that you've gotten from this particular campaign. A beautiful part of it is which we call call to action. Mm. In D2C brands, there is a beautiful term called call to action wherein you can directly measure that this campaign has given you this kind of sales and this kind of visibility, which traditionally was not available. So I feel that it has empowered a lot many things. Lately, in terms of categories have expanded a lot. Initially, uh, finding a transport was a tough task after all these new age brands finding a transportation a commute has been easy finding stay have been easy payment methods have been easy so I would feel that it's a very powerful tool
1: okay if we look at the investment side of the business now how yeah. has D2C as a sector been yeah. Okay. in terms of investment opportunities so far and do you think how this is going to change going forward
0: so D2C it's obviously I will primarily feel it's a great way to do it, but apart from it, last year it has been really tough for all of us in terms of the ad spends and all. So uh, <laughs> we can see that Facebook and Google's have been the only one who's uh, making money out of this, but uh, again making. Also, on the brighter side of it, uh, they can give you direct consumers, which traditionally is not possible. So, in terms of your investment opportunities in this kind of businesses, it's true to have that. And it's true to be good having a D2C brand rather than just having a traditional form of businesses wherein you can get a reach, like you can reach out to your consumers directly in a way wherein, say, you have a product idea you only have a very niche category of uh, consumer that you want to tap, which is practically possible with this segment, which is not practically possible with any traditional methods. So I feel it's a very good investment opportunity. Sure. On the other side of it, if we try and understand that the level of uh, spends that you are doing on D2C versus traditional methods, D2C is going to be more fruitful. You might spend, end up spending a little more on the first time, but you're going to get repeats out of it and which you can track is which I feel is best thing to have rather than being on the dark side of it wherein you don't know who's buying or who's watching mm. your ad. So, I feel it's a good way to do it. Sure.
1: Manglam, FMCG, stocks, <laughs> big. So, If you look at it from the FMCG brands that are listed, how have they been traditionally for investors?
2: They've been very, very good over the long term. I mean, uh, investment into the FMCG space, and I say this uh, uh, not as a champion for the sector, but just as uh, an outside analyst, you know, it depends on the period that you're looking to invest in the company for there might be long periods of underperformance as in between 2003 and 2010 say for instance when the market boomed HUL did practically nothing but over the last 10 years the stock has moved almost 10 times looking at some data Asian paints itself over the last 10 years moved almost 10 times and this after having moved 10 times in the previous decade so it's not a 20 time move it's a 10 into 10 hundred time move uh Delight, a big wealth creator out there as well. So whatever company you look at, Britannia as well, for instance, in the last seven, eight years has moved around 700% or seven times. And this is, uh, you know, notwithstanding the sort of weakness that we've seen over the last couple of years. So, Uh, Depending on the investment horizon that you have, from a long-term standpoint, you're usually better off in the FMCG space than any other space, uh, risk-reward adjusted. And that's primarily because of a couple of things. The first thing is that the Indian demographic is such that India is the only country in the world where, you know, you don't need to generate demand. Demand's already there. Just get the right product at the right place to the right audience and promote it well the four p's of marketing that they say and you know chances are that you will be successful Secondly, FMCG companies, if the brands are, uh, you know, well known, then from a business standpoint, you don't need to invest in capacity building, you can license that out. So your investment in the business remains low. But because of your brand visibility, your returns are high. So that's high ROCE, high ROEs, if you must. And uh, the third thing is that if you're not spending much on capex, your brands are doing well, your returns are high, you will start generating dividends. So you will keep a lot of dividends for all the investors. And finally what is the big bane of all the listed companies? It is, you know, promoter integrity, management quality. In the FMCG sector in particular, I would say, you know, it's uh, it's the cleanest shirt in uh, the laundry. If you just look at the kind of pedigree of management that you have, both uh, multinational as well as domestic, both professional as well as family-owned companies. So, you have all the right boxes that the FMCG sector takes. The only thing you need patience and entering at uh, the right time. Right.
1: Going forward impact of inflation on FMCG
2: going forward? Well, it is extremely uncertain right now. But if backward is something to look at, the last four or five quarters have been, um, you know, a a cyclical rise that we've seen in all the input prices. I mean, I was just looking at some data, over 100% rise is what we've seen in some of the key inputs for, uh, you know, making soaps as well as some of the food snack uh, snacks, you need palm oil, PFAD, derivatives, etc. They've risen by almost 60-65%. And for your inputs to rise by that amount, it's painful. We've Seen over 250 to 300 basis points in terms of margin correction for all the companies that have reported their numbers so far, and these are big companies that I'm talking about. It's the HULs of the world. You have Nestle and Britannia that reported its numbers just uh, a couple of days ago. So these are companies which can, uh, you know, somehow mitigate the inflation impact by either passing the prices on to consumers or taking the hit on the EBITDA margin as well. But it's not a good sign to see input costs increasing so much.
1: Yeah. Priya, talking about the pandemic, how has that changed? The focus of FMCG towards D2C?
0: I think the cost uh, of doing business for all of these giants is super high. When we talk about distribution channel, also we talk about uh, from production module to having the product on shelf. There's a lot of other costs that a traditional FMCG company has to derive when it, to, to at least reach out to a consumer, which is too expensive for them. Where in D2C it is directly going to the consumers, you cut down on a lot of costs, you don't have to maybe give your margins to distributors, to your retailers, there is no other cost which is associated to sell the product. So a lot of companies do feel that now it is the correct way of doing it. Yes, uh, vis-a-vis there are a lot lot of other expenses uh, to also reach out to the consumers because to finding a right set of consumers is also tough, which takes a lot of efforts, campaigning, marketing, branding, all of it. But In and all, what I feel is that, uh, you know, uh, post-pandemic, because of cost-cutting, obviously, these are the primary cost-cutting ways of maybe, you know, having uh, the retailers out of the bucket who who are not doing much volume, maybe distributors or the regions who are not doing volumes. The fundamental is same. Everyone wants to reach out to the consumer directly. But when you can do it via D2C, then why to have a traditional measure of doing it? So I feel that a lot of... uh, giants have turned up uh, with this kind of module because it helps them to reach out to the correct set of audience with correct amount of money spent. So, uh, that is how I see.
1: Same question to you, Mangalam. You know, why are we seeing a shift towards D2C by the FMCG brands?
2: The way to look at it is, you know, that D2C is basically nothing but a microcosm of the way the world has been. Every At every point in time of the world's evolution, uh, you know, participants, uh, human beings have tried to eliminate the middle element. And I'm not saying the middle man, the middle woman, the middle element itself. So uh, the internet is the biggest example of that. You eliminate distance, you eliminate time, you el- eliminate the need for physical space. And D2C is just a logical extension towards that. Every time you, uh, you know, why is it that if I have to buy a product, I have to go ahead and wait for the entire distribution channel to, uh, for the product to be available in stores for me? Why is it that, uh, you know, I have to look for a big institution, a brand to go ahead and do the consumer survey and uh, basis their uh, research, etc. They launch a product that may be required for me. What uh, the internet does actually is it removes the, uh, the uh, you know, it, it, it consolidates the market in a way that long tail products or products which are for a very niche group of people are big enough. The, the niche group of people come together in a consolidated way and that makes sense for the product to sell on the internet. Let me uh, give this to you as an example. There would not be more than 100, 150 people, this is just an example, in a particular area which would want a specific product for a very niche purpose, say beard grooming. You won't find more than 100, 200 people in a building block, so it won't make sense for a chemist to store niche products in their shop, but... If uh, you just look at it from an internet standpoint, all of them come together. There could be 100 people in a particular building. There could be 100 people in a building, say, 10 kilometers away. There could be another 100 people in a city, say, uh, 100 kilometers away. So all of them will consolidate and come together on the internet. And that makes doing business viable. And that's why D2C as a concept was, uh, uh, you know, thought of if you, uh, uh, you know, if you think of it like that. And that's why it's seen the success that it has.
1: Okay, so I have a question for both of you. Mangalam, since you're there, I'll start with you. Hmm. What advantages do these new age brands have? As compared to the F- FMCG giants. Just picking up from your previous answer.
2: The biggest advantage is that uh, they have they, they are faster to the market than the FMCG giants. Secondly, you know, they can get into long tail products. Long tail products are extremely niche products, which could do, you know, say five crore revenue, ten crore revenue, fifteen crore revenue, which in the larger scheme of things for an FMCG company which does a hundred thousand crore revenue will, you know, not even look at it. They'll say, okay, the market's too small for us to actually put our minds to it. The once uh, you know the proof of concept Is made by these brands Only then will we go ahead That is when it makes sense For us to you know uh, Invest behind a, a, a certain category So that is the biggest advantage The second one That D2C players have Against the FMCG guys Is that they speak directly To the consumer The FMCG The traditional FMCG companies Have to speak to Multiple stakeholders You have to speak to The distributor You have to speak to The wholesaler You have to speak to The end retailer And give them margins And then eventually Speak to the consumer So the direct consumer consumer connect that you want to establish does not happen in a way that a d2c company can do the third most important thing that the internet has done is that you know in the world of web 2.0 uh, web 1 you had uh, the companies speak to the consumers and that was one way communication in web 2.0 you had companies speak to consumers companies reply back to consumers on all the social media platforms etc and now the world that we are moving into the opportunity lies in consumers of a certain product building communities within themselves. And, you know, that itself becomes an a large independent entity where you can then go into the why of a brand rather than a what of a brand. So once they buy why of a brand, they'll go ahead and buy whatever of that brand.
1: Interesting. Priyank, same question to you. What advantages do the new age companies so I have do, over?
0: I do look at that two ways. So one is the uh, appetite to experiment. So all these new D2C brands have a lot of appetite to experiment on a lot of many things when it comes to a product offering or a service offering. They do not have anything to lose out on at this point of time. So they'll try and work out with a way which is uh, trying to resolve a lot many problems. So they'll reverse engineer it working with a way wherein they'll figure out a problem and then they'll provide a solution. So that's how this all D2C brands have been working on to Get on their products on, uh, Get on consumers on board So that's how they've been working And which is uh, The established brand Cannot do it Because they will come With a lot of data understanding They'll want to understand The past records And how the overall trend line Have been And then they'll want to jump up In a service or a product offering Which is very good Or maybe it serves sometime Well for the D2C brands Or would not Would be a success or a failure Cannot comment, But that's how Part A of it has been hmm. Part 2 is Cost of failure there is nothing uh, to lose for all these new age brands uh, or maybe D2C brands. I'm not going to lose out on anything. I can keep on experimenting. I can try and offering new products. I can understand my consumer well. And then I can come up with an offering which I do not have to work out much. I can keep on trying and trying and trying. Wherein all these other huge giants are going to come up with a lot of other data. So they, what I feel is that all these D2C brands are futuristic. Wherein the giants are based out on the past uh, datas so if you want to grow think out of the box it's it's obviously well to see uh, the future about it rather than What's happened in the past is in the past. You cannot see the records, scratch the records and try and come up with a product because it is, it was for past. Today, if you want to grow, I think understanding the future is what these guys have uh, scratched the surface and got that uh, <laughs> one good factor for them that, okay, let's understand what's been needed in the future. Let's work on it. Hmm. We might fail, obviously, uh, the risk of, uh, you know, What we say, failure is high there, but that's okay. There's nothing to lose though.
2: Just to (laughs) add to uh, what Priyank is saying, D2C brands actually have, uh, or rather, they don't have the worry of a legacy brand which is standing. So, they can absolutely go ahead and experiment. And uh, whereas the other thing is that in terms of positioning, they're starting off with a clean slate. So, they can create whatever they want to as against, say, an HUL wanting to, you know, ...cater to an extremely niche, very premium sort of customer... uh, ...there will be some sort of legacy costs... ...and legacy notions behind them for them to go ahead.
1: Sure, Mangalam. Can T2C brands ease the burden of the consumer and if so, how?
2: Depends on what the burden uh, (laughs) is... ...because if you are talking about the burden of going to a store... ...looking for a product... Uh, you know, scrummaging through shelves and then waiting at queues, yes, it can most definitely is the burden. If uh, the burden that you're talking about is, uh, uh, you know, uh, catering specifically to that very need that you have, uh, then most definitely it can ease because not every company has everything that you need. And if you're talking about the burden of uh, the product being of great quality, well uh, you know or the concern about quality a lot of the D2C brands actually do focus on clean labels uh, good quality ingredients and that's how they build the communities around them so those are the burdens that D2C brands can ease uh, for the customers what is it that they can't ease and what is it that legacy players have one the cost efficiencies. so you know it will be difficult for a uh, I'm not casting any aspersion on a brand mm. so it, it's difficult for Mama Earth to supply at a price in which HUL sells sure. True.
1: Priyank they say that the Indian consumer is the most spoiled consumer <laughs> in a way. They want everything fast, everything cheap. And plus they want a discount on top of that as well. Do you believe this is, in your experience, do you think this is true? And how have new age D2C companies taken advantage of this knowledge?
0: <laughs> I do contradict the statement in terms of spoiled. Uh, yes, Indian consumers are very well aware of uh, what to buy, when to buy, what to spend. So that is absolutely at par. I'll, I'll give it up to Indian consumers on that front. Yes, but I think all these pizzas guys delivering product in 30 minutes or maybe all these other delivery giants who've been trying to deliver products in 10 minutes. That have obviously spoiled the mindset of the consumers that everything that you want is right now. So it's a good thing to have, maybe a sad thing to have, because certain things obviously take time to, like if you want to cook food, obviously it's going to take some time to cook food. But yeah, it's a good thing to have. Uh, competitiveness has to be there in the market to make sure that things are live and kicking. I'll feel that it is an advantage to uh, a lot of many things because that's how the overall, uh, you know, D2C thing would work. People would want to come up with new offerings every time. People would want to come up with new ways of doing certain things, which was traditionally uh, not the way. A lot of niche products we've seen in terms of laundry servicing or maybe uh, ride-on-ride uh, kind of, uh, you know, apps and all of it, which is really boon to the industry, is what I feel. Okay. What is the power
1: of a well-thought-out D2C business in today's world where everything is so connected?
0: Again, getting uh, to the spot where we talk about internet, it is beautiful to have a lot of things on, on hand at this point of time. Lately, if I go back and understand payments as an issue, a lot of things wherein you know you have to stand in a long queue to get your payment deposited or get credited, whatsoever it was. Maybe again, certain points of transportation and all of it. So the Indian consumers, uh, there was a lot of uh, opportunity is what we feel in, it, in India it is because... Uh, still the surface have not been scratched. So if you talk about any other areas of development, it is much needed that internet can go deep and come up with a lot of solutions which would make life easy. You can see on that front that whenever we are talking about uh, making or giving up some services which would make life easy, that is at par going to be acceptable from uh, all of these other people. Like Jio coming up with uh, the module and maybe reaching out to 400 plus million Indian consumers is really well the service offering would be anything though it would be just internet or just anything other else but it is good like if you even try and work out on the entertainment front of it a lot of things have been developed really well Uh, a lot of uh, you know content have been really easy for an Indian consumer to watch again in terms of the services if you talk about your transport services your payment banking services or product offering as a services It's absolutely boon to Indian consumers.
1: Okay, so I have a question again for both of you. Priyank, I'll start with you. How can T2C businesses in this FMCG space specifically? um, How can these brands make sure that they continue growing and not
0: stagnate or hit a ceiling? Now, again, getting back to the numbers, if you see that, yes, we do have a lot of people who have device on their hand, but they have not started using services. Again, if you see that Indian consumers are buying products On internet is somewhere around 7, 7 7.5%. If you compare with US uh, markets, it's somewhere around 48 to 52%. So that's a lot. We still have a huge way to cross. So there's a lot of opportunity for this kind of products offering in the market. And I think uh, it has just started. We've not even reached at a level wherein we can, (laughs) you know, talk about hitting the ceiling kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I absolutely foresee that this is going to be next big thing. You can directly speak to your consumers. What better than that? You can sell to your consumers, speak to consumers, you can understand them really well, which we were not able to get that before, like all of this 10 years back. Now it's all easy. So I think people are working well towards it and companies can grow really well if they look on the brighter side of it or maybe trying to understand the Education side of it And technology side of it Then there's a huge scope
1: Okay Your thoughts Mangalam Same question
0: Well, There
2: are three ways in which A D2C company can grow The first one of course Is that uh, You know It moves away from The online And goes into the offline Model as well uh, and, and for all these three ways, there are merits. Uh, being an online first brand, you've established proof of concept. People know that there is a need for this product. So from being an early adopter, uh, you know, long tail sort of product, you now go into the mass market and that is the one way you can grow. The second one is that now you know that this is the niche of the product and uh, this it's been exploited completely. But what you've also learned is that this is how you seed a product into the market and this is how you grow a product. So then you start repeating the same and then you create a sort of house of brands. I mean, uh, for example, again, Mama Earth uh, recently bought B Blunt as well because they would have their experience of creating a good brand uh, in Mama Earth. So they'll replicate that model by uh, having another brand. So that's the second way. The third way to do so is that when your brand itself, the ethos of the brand itself has been communicated well enough to the consumer and that has been accepted by the consumer, then you can get into newer categories. I mean, Priyank started by saying that, you know, he wanted to uh, get into the macho category, uh, beard category of uh, men's grooming. And once you tap the beard, people now know that it's men's grooming. It's not limited only to the beard. Then you have other products that you add to your mix as well. So, three ways. Once you change the channel from online, you go into offline as well. Secondly, you change, uh, uh, you know, the number of brands that you've added, replicate the same model. And the third one is you add new categories. So, those are the ways you can mitigate this growth ceiling, so to say. Okay, Priyank, let's look at this
1: in a way that what are the differences, right, between Traditional FMCG companies going D2C and D2C first companies going offline, right? What are the advantages that the traditional FMCG businesses can enjoy by doing this, and what advantages would uh, D2C first companies have in this regard?
0: So uh, you know, understanding the first fact that uh, if a traditional company is uh, going ahead and doing the D2C market, it's obviously gonna be a great offering for them as whole because. So far, you've already tapped your market. You're available into maybe 100,000s of outlets. You're already having, you enjoy a great goodwill wherein you are offering a lot of products and services. Now we will go back and understand and try to have uh, uh, talk with your consumer. It's obviously going to be great for you guys wherein it's going to give you a whole lot of idea and a lot of development programs in terms of understanding how your consumer feel about the product. Till now, you were not able to uh, get in touch with your consumers about maybe a small feedback or whatsoever it is. But with D2C, you can get that. With D2C, you can also understand all the kind of geographical locations that people are trying to buy a product from the kind of right kind of age group, maybe what is the correct kind of uh, cart value and all of it. So it's going to be a lot of uh, value added services for a traditional FMCG company going and adopting D2C as a Uh, go-to-market strategy wherein again for d2c to traditional offline markets it's a it's going to take a lot of uh, efforts for them first because uh, they have seen the easy side of it of developing their consumer base this is going to be the hard side of it on day-to-day basis you have your marketplace orders and you have your website orders and all of it but now when you get into that traditional business primarily your goods go to distributor then your goods go to retailer and you're gonna wait when an end consumer is gonna come and buy wherein here your charts are taking up high every day and there at the end of the month if you just take uh, and sit on your balance sheet you'll see that the goods are lying on the shelf but it's not directly reached out to the consumers well other thing which i feel uh, it's gonna be a pain point for d2c brands to go offline or maybe do a traditional way of businesses they do give a lot of discounting a lot of other offers running around because that's how you know you attract your consumer when we speak of D2C, which is practically not possible when we go in that traditional sort of market. Right now, if I'm selling my product on 25-30% off on Amazon, I cannot do the same offline because if I do it, there is not correct measure to monitor until unless you write it on pack that this 100 rupee product is now been uh, given at 75, which is practically going to devalue your brand. So you're not going to do that. You'll have to rely on your retailer Assuming that he's going to pass away the discounts. So which is again going to be a pain point to balance their uh, product offering at the same cost online and offline. Which have been I think fight between the actual uh, market retailer market and the e-com industry. Because e-commerce it is very easy to pass on the discounts. There are no such systems like not complex systems mm-hmm. wherein uh, commercial systems are very complex when we speak of traditional FMCG businesses. So it is going to be a little uh, tough for them. So my advice to D2C companies who's getting into offline channels would be making sure that do not only rely on discounts. That's not how you build your consumer base. Make sure that brand is super solid until unless you do not work on the branding aspect of it. Just selling the product is not going to take you anywhere. Say for instance, any other brands are doing great volumes these days, but that is not the end of it. Right now, yes, you're trying to understand and maybe tap the consumer. But once you stop giving that offering or discounts, your sales going to go half. To so try and build a strong brand rather than just uh, <laughs> pushing on discounts is what I'll feel.
1: Mangala, what's the word on the street? What are the market's opinions on FMCG versus D2C and any instances that you see of this coming up in earnings calls?
2: It has happened. In fact, as we speak, I was preparing for that. I was looking at, uh, you know, the kind of acquisitions that traditional FMCG companies have made uh, uh, of D2C brands. And what really stands out is that this new business versus old business sort of story. In this, what happens is that you've seen Grow go ahead and acquire India Bulls Housing Finance. Uh, you've seen pharmacy go ahead and acquire ThyroCare that's the non-consumer space but in the consumer space is usually been goliaths who've gone ahead and acquired david so i would bet on the larger fmcg companies to go ahead and use the might of the cash and the distribution that reach that they have to acquire d2c brands who are struggling with scale because the market that india is right now with the kind of growth that we're seeing in e-commerce etc we're still a largely mom and pop led you know market 90 percent of the sales still happen through traditional channels so to that extent, D2C is a lot more visible and spoken of than the sales have to show for it. Just looking at the way D2C has been, you know, uh, from a large FMCG standpoint, Marico acquired Just Herbs, it's acquired Beardo, you've had Imami acquired The Man Company, they've acquired True Native, ITC has gone ahead and acquired a couple of Baby Care companies, Cavin Care itself has gone ahead and acquired a handful of companies, HUL, the biggest of them all, has acquired VWash too. So, the larger companies uh, will eventually look at acquiring brands which are struggling. The only question is the kind of valuation that they pay for it. Talking about earnings calls itself, you know, Marico has said that they expect about 100 crore in terms of revenues from Beardo this year. And over the next couple of years, they would have a portfolio of 450 to 500 crore worth revenues coming in from just digital first brands. So the truth is not FMCG versus D2C. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. It's FMCG and D2C put together.
1: Let's look at the same thing from an investment angle, right? What factors should one keep in mind when thinking of investing? In the FMCG space and D two C space.
2: Investing in the FMCG space, you just have to look at one thing: the valuations at which you're getting, the size of the opportunity, and the company's, uh, you know, prospects in that overall scheme of things. You buy a leader, you buy number two, who's growing fast. Have any of the fundamentals changed? And over the last few years, what we've seen is the easiest thing to bet on in an FMCG company is if there is a leadership change. We've seen that with Pratik Pota entering Jubilant Food, uh, leaving Jubilant Food as well thereafter. You've had a couple of new, uh, you know, Varun Berry joining Britannia, Sudhir Siddhapati joining Godrej Consumer. So a management change is an important thing you have to watch out for yeah. in the FMCG space. And in D2C itself, uh, we've seen a lot of these new age companies list on our bourses. I would suggest just look at two things. One is the consumer acquisition cost, which is known as the CAC. And the second is the consumer lifetime value, which is the revenue that the consumer brings to the company over a period of his or her lifetime association with the company. So long as your consumer lifetime value is above the consumer acquisition cost or the cost that you pay to acquire that consumer, you're likely to be in the green. But uh, the minute you're paying more to the consumer than the consumers paying to you over their uh, association with the company, then you're obviously always going to be, uh, you know, disadvantaged. There's the
0: word out in the market that whenever you want to try and invest in D2C market, always invest in founder rather than investing into any other idea and all which will make more sense because he'll not he's not gonna let the company die obviously things can go north or south but yeah investing in founder is one more thing yeah (laughs) so if you want to know more about the fmcg
1: sector do check out the fmcg tracker small case to understand the food and beverages tobacco household products, batteries and personal products companies, allowing investors to efficiently track and invest in the FMCG sector. Links in the episode description and show notes. On that valuable piece of advice, folks, that is a wrap on this episode of The Ideas Project. Priyank, thank you so much for joining us. Mangalam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And folks, hope you enjoyed this fascinating talk with Priyank Shah and Mangalamalu Malu as much as I did. If you liked this episode, do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. This podcast is powered by Smallcase. We will come back with more insightful conversations to help you achieve a well-rounded investment portfolio. Until then, bye-bye. See you on the next brand new episode of The Ideas Project.